If you're new around here, you're visiting us in person or online, we want to welcome you as our guest and say that we are so grateful to God that you have found your way here today to hear this. We, we don't count it as an accident. We believe that you're here by divine appointment to hear the good news, not just any news, but the good news. And there's a digital connect card. You can let us know that you're with us. Those of you in person, stop by the information desk after service and let us know you were here. Uh, just one housekeeping thing I want to uh, let you be aware of before we get into the message today is that this year for uh, the month of February, we always try to do something around marriage enrichment or, or couples uh, getting the resources they need, whether you're pre-married or you're in a relationship or, or you just really feel like you, you would like to have some, some more resources, connect with people of like mind. Is, uh, at the end of February this year, we are going to be in partnership with Fellowship of Praise Church over in Clarksville, Ohio. We're going to be going over there on Friday night and Saturday for the EXO conference. Holly and I are going to be uh, some panel speakers, and we would love to have as many of our New Freedom family join us. You can go uh, to our website probably starting tomorrow. You can go to their website even today, and you can register. I believe there's a small fee per couple, and that includes some food and some materials for you. But uh, we believe that God has placed families together. God has placed husbands and wives together. God has placed the local body and the local church together to encourage one another in this walk of faith. And so this is one of the primary ways that we can reach our world for Christ is as we reflect his light through our relationships. Can everyone say, that's good news? Amen. Turn with me today in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, as you know, we are going through all four Gospels this year, the four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four biographies of the life of Jesus. So uh, if you simply don't get anything else other than how to just see what it's like to live a better life, this is what you're going to see in the words in the life of Jesus. But beyond that, you're going to see what Jesus came to do and bring, which was his wonderful kingdom. And Mark chapter 2, we're going to start off and read a couple of verses here and then dive into this story. And we're going to watch how Jesus continues to do things that astounded the religious mind of his day. It was so countercultural to anything anyone had ever seen before, yet it was so revolutionary that those who were witnesses and bystanders, those who were recipients of the grace of God, could not keep it in. They had to tell what God had done for them. And look at Mark 2, 1, it says, And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Capernaum was a town of about a thousand people in this day, and that's going to be important when you notice here in a minute in this story that almost the entire town flocked to one place. And the reason that they came to that one place was because they heard something, and what they heard was that Jesus was in the house. Can you say, Jesus is in the house? He is still in the house. Jesus is still in the place that people are gathering today. The place where the most needs are, there you will find Jesus and Jesus' followers because we come to represent the kingdom of God. And it said that Jesus was in the house immediately. Many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. They, they flocked into this house. It had gotten so large of a crowd that they had to start sending people away. How about a day in our world when the, the church is open, the house of God is open to the point where so many people are flocking to see what Jesus is doing that we have no more room for him. We have to say, no, you have to go away. We don't have room. You have to wait. You have to go online. You have to listen to a loudspeaker out there. Wouldn't that be amazing? 
You know, there are enough seats in this entire town of Lebanon, of 60 churches, that we could not hold all of the people in this town if everybody wanted to come to the church at the same time. We couldn't hold them. There, there are a lot of seats, but there's not enough to hold everybody. And this was the same case in Mark chapter 2, is that when people heard Jesus was in the house and that he was healing and doing miracles, signs and wonders were following his ministry, people flocked and they had to send them away. There wasn't even room up next to the door. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. So you you get the scene here, there's this house, it's actually Peter's house is what they they concur, and that there's Jesus preaching the word, he's proclaiming, he's uh, uh, giving forth a proclamation of, of the good gospel, the good news, and this crowd is so large that they started to bring the sick to him. They had heard that Jesus was a healer. They started to bring the sick. And these friends brought their paralytic friend to Jesus, and they couldn't get in. So here's what they did. And because they could not get near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was so that when they had broken through, they let him down on the bed which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoned in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they had reasoned thus with themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier? This is a common tact of the day when, when, when debating or in talking. Jesus is going to ask them a question and thereby pierce their heart with the answer. And yet he was going to go ahead and give the answer. He said, which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up his bed and went went out of the presence of them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is commonly known as the story of the four friends who brought their paralyzed companion to Jesus for healing. Now, this story, when you break it down, could could go in so many different directions, but I just want to share my thoughts with you about reading this story, the illumination of what God is doing here in the midst of the people. The entire town was gathered around to hear Jesus preach, and they had already heard previously that he was a healer, that, that signs and wonders had followed him. And Jesus always was attracting a crowd. And so hearing that there was a possibility that their friend could be healed, these four friends brought the paralyzed man and they came in the right way. They came with the right motive and the right heart. They came to the front door. And surely they thought if anyone in this room has compassion, they'll make a clearing so that we can get close to Jesus because obviously we have someone who is in great need. We know that they will surely part the way so that the one with the greatest need can make their way to Jesus. But that's not what happened in the story. And that's not often what happens in our own world today. Those who need Jesus the most oftentimes are shut out of the crowd. They're shut out on the outside and people don't make a way for them to easily get to Jesus. And some people who are sitting in this room today or watching me online, you have had a tough time getting to the real Jesus. You've seen religious people. You've heard religious messages. You've watched as churches invite you year after year to come to their service, but to actually get to Jesus, that can be a tall order. That can be a tough thing to do. And this was the dilemma that these four friends were faced with is that people didn't part the way. 
Getting to Jesus proved not to be very easy. In fact, the crowd kept them away from the very healing that their friend needed. But they were not to be deterred. They were not to be denied. These four friends had faith in and of themselves to press on, to find another way. They could have gone in the back door. You think that's a a, a good route. Go ahead and go to the back entrance. But they didn't do that either. But they went up on the roof. And these days, houses were, were built in such that the roof line could be built up on again and again. They could go higher and higher up uh, in different stories as, as the, the family grew, they would grow higher. And so the roof was made out of a material that was like uh, probably pitch and mud, and it was maybe some, some grass or leaves or something like that, but it was sturdy enough to repel the rain. And all of a sudden there was this scratching noise on the roof about where Jesus was standing. And these four friends tore open the roof. They found where Jesus was and they put their friend in a basket maybe on a, on a stretcher of some kind, maybe with some claws, and they lowered him down in the middle of a church service. Can you imagine? I'm standing here speaking, and all of a sudden, a hole opens up in the roof, and someone starts lowering someone down. You would think it's a theatrical production, but that was no production. This was exactly what was most needed in that moment. And these four friends started lowering their paralytic friend down through the ceiling. Oh, that we could have just four good friends in our life that would do that for us. There is such a lesson in friendship right here. I remember being 18 years old, going to a major conference in in this country out out in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was invited with a a, a friend of mine who knew all of the guest speakers, and and I was just in amazement of these guest speakers. And if I would name some of their names, you would know them. They're they're kind of household names in, in church uh, Christian circles in, in our day, and, and especially in the 90s. But in the late 90s, one of the, the speakers that was there, I was so excited to see because I'd watched him on TV for many years. And I was just amazed at how uh, people would respond to the gospel as he would preach. There was, there was manifestations of things happening. You could see it clearly, healings that would happen on the television screen. I just couldn't wait to be in the same room with him as, as this service is going on. Little did I know that the person I was there uh, with actually knew him personally. And I was invited to go backstage. At 18 years old, I went backstage and I was able to meet one of my heroes of the faith. And it was amazing. And as I stood there, my mentor uh, went up and he said, this young man wants to go into the ministry. Can you share with him just some nuggets of wisdom about ministry, about serving God, about walking with the Lord? And I was, I was ready. You know, I was going to take notes. I was ready to, to really absorb what this man of God had to say. He stood there for a moment. He paused He looked down and then he looked up and he went like this. I thought he was about to lay hands on me or something. I'm ready, you know, I'm getting ready. But he wasn't gonna lay hands on me. He said, if in life you can have just five true friends, you are of all men most blessed. And I thought, that's your advice? That sounds kind of cryptic. It sounds kind of sad just five friends. Yet as I look back over my life, I think about my high school days and I had great friends in high school and I thought, you will be my friends forever. And I don't have contact with maybe but one, maybe. My college days, my my roommates, those who were gonna go into ministry together with me and from my college days, maybe one or two that I talked to a couple times a year, friends. True friends, friends that will cover for you in public, 
but they will speak the truth to you that you need to hear in private. Those are true friends. Friends that when you're not around, they're still speaking well of you. Friends that when you have a need, they show up uninvited. Someone told me that true friends are those who show up when the need is there uninvited. True friends who have refrigerator privileges that when you go to their house, you don't have to ask, can I get a water? You go and you open the fridge and you help yourself. True friends who are there for you through the thick and the thin. True friends who reach out to you in the good times and the bad. True friends who are there when you can't do for yourself, they help you to do what you can't do. And this is the story that Jesus cast as these four friends and the number four is important here, but there's four friends that take their paralyzed friend and they bring him before the very presence of Jesus. These are true friends. Jesus was all about telling the stories of Israel in new ways that they had never heard it before. Reframing a story where the villain now becomes the good guy and the hero is no longer the hero. The religious elite, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they were always used to casting themselves as the heroes of the story. And yet Jesus would flip the script time and again and cause them to be the ones that were scratching their head at the end saying, I think he just insulted us, but I don't know. That was like a backhanded compliment in some ways. That's what Jesus would do. And Jesus uses this example of these four friends to illustrate and to bring back into the Jewish mindset what other friends had done in the past in the Old Testament days. Can I share one with you? There's an example of Noah. You know, Noah built the ark and, and he came and settled upon land after being on the flood for 40 days and 40 nights of the flood. And they settled and they settled in this new land. And Noah had a little bit too much to drink after the flood. And he found himself in a cave and he was naked. And three of his, of his sons found that he was in that cave naked and two of them wanted to expose their father. They wanted to take the, the authority of their household, but one of their sons took a garment, walked backwards into the cave and cast it down to cover their father. There was an example of friendliness even within a family of someone who was willing to cover the indiscretion of a person who had gotten out of their boundaries. And there are times in our lives when we are outside of our boundaries. We are, are going a little too far in a direction we shouldn't go. And thanks be to God for good people in our lives that will help us in our time of need. And yes, they're gonna speak correction, they're gonna speak truth, but they're gonna do it in a loving manner. And they're not gonna expose us to the world in our time of weakness. These are true friends. There's also an example that came to the Hebrew mind immediately when Jesus is, is looking at these four friends with this man coming down. And that is that you recall one of the oldest books in the scripture. Some say it's the oldest book in the Bible named Job. And Job was a man upright before God and he served God. But there was something about the testing that was happening in his life that no one else around him could understand. And Job had friends come along. And Job's three friends were actually called Job's accusers. And Job's accusers were saying, what'd you do to deserve this, Job? Just go ahead and repent. Just tell us what you did. Just go ahead. And these friends didn't believe his good report. These friends actually were there to cut and to cause pain to Job. And so in the Jewish mindset, when friends come together, it may not always be for good purposes, but these four friends, these were good friends. These were friends who were willing to reach out at their own cost and their own 
safety being risked up on that roof to bring down their friend before Jesus. And Jesus is fulfilling a story from the Old Testament by retelling it with right and good people doing the good work. You and I are called to be kingdom people, Jesus apprentices, disciples of Jesus doing the good work of God in our day, in our life. They broke through the roof. And, and, and I, you know, I, I read that word broke through and I think to myself so often in life, especially in our westernized American Christian mindset, we are waiting for a breakthrough to happen. We are waiting, we are praying, and we are waiting longer. And there's nothing wrong with tarrying in the altar. I think that we have gotten a little too impatient and we don't uh, wait on the Lord. But then there's also another side of that coin where I think that so often we just wait for God to do everything. Oh Lord, is it thy will for me to do the dishes today? If the dishes are dirty, do the dishes. You don't need to wait on the Lord. See people out at the grocery store and they're like, you're, you're, you're the pastor, you're the grocery store. I'm like, yeah, the angels don't deliver our groceries. We got to go buy those things. We can't simply wait for God to do everything, but sometimes we have to take a step of faith to make the breakthrough happen. And that's what these friends did is that they continued to pry. They continued to to search. They weren't simply going to be turned away because the, the front door wasn't open. They just went up on the roof and they broke through the roof. But even in their effort of creating the atmosphere for a breakthrough, they had no ability to heal their friend. There are some things that you can do and there are other things that only God can do. Let's understand the difference. I have a part to play and God has a part to play. My part in the kingdom, my part on this stage is not about whether something happens and somebody gets healed. Somebody said, well, well, pastor, if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, well, what do you think about that? And I said, that's not my job. I'm in sales, not production. I just pray God does the miracles. And if you can have that mindset in your heart and life that you don't have to make the miracle happen, all you have to do is help the environment be changed enough to let the breakthrough happen so that God does the healing. God does the miracle. Let's, let's read on. Let's see what, this, what happens here. Jesus now forgives this man's sin And then he heals him. Now, I want you to see that this is the only occurrence of Jesus healing somebody after first forgiving their sins. But it was was done for a purpose. And I want you to know that as you read through the, the New Testament, you will not find that sin is a direct result of physical infirmity or of of someone being sick. Although I will say that with all sin, there is a sense of paralysis. You may not feel paralyzed today because of the sin that you think you're getting away with, but eventually somehow, just like Adam and Eve were told, the day that you eat, you will surely die. We know that they didn't drop dead as soon as they had that forbidden tree. They ate of that forbidden fruit, did they? They they looked around, they said, oh my goodness, the serpent was right, I didn't die. No, you may get away with your sin for a while, but eventually be sure your sin will find you out. And, Sickness will happen as a result of our continuing to break the promises, the boundaries, and the laws of God. There will come sickness into our body. There will come sickness into our heart, sickness into our mind. Our souls can be sick even if our bodies are in 
tip-top shape. Did you hear me? Going to the gym and working out and making sure that your body looks good does very, very little for a sin-sick soul that is burdened with the pain of walking in secret, of living in the shadows, of thinking that you're getting away with something. Listen, it ain't good, good English, but it's good preaching. Ain't nobody getting away with nothing. God keeps good records. But thanks be to God that we have the book that tells us there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You don't have to be condemned. You can come out of the shadows. You don't have to walk in darkness. You can walk in the light of God today. You can have the fullness of his life. And here's what Jesus was demonstrating. As the Bystanders were watching this man come down from the roof. Jesus knew this was a divine opportunity. He had compassion on the paralytic man, but he was going to teach an overarching bigger theme here. And that is that he was going to do for this man the greatest miracle of all. We talked about healing two weeks ago. We're going to see this time and again through the gospels. Jesus was all about healing the sick but the most important healing that can ever take place is when someone says, yes, I accept the salvation of my soul. I receive Jesus into my life and I will live for him forever. That is the ultimate healing. That is the eternal healing. Yes, it is. And this is what Jesus was demonstrating by forgiving his sin. Now, the, the religious people watching, they had a problem with this. They said, wait a minute. Only God can forgive sin. But then they also knew, really, only God can heal the sick. So what was this Jesus? Was he really the person he's declaring himself to be, the son of the living God? Or was he just some heretic that was doing these mystical things by some means of magic? Jesus reached out, forgave the man of his sin, the greatest miracle, the miracle of forgiveness of salvation. And then he told him, now rise up, take your bed and walk. We don't even see that Jesus spit in the mud. We don't see that he reached down and, and picked him up. We just see that Jesus simply told him, gave him an instruction, take up your mat, your sins are forgiven, take up your bed and walk. It's often been said that God will not direct you beyond your last word of missed obedience. People come and they, they want counsel on how to get over a life matter or how to navigate a situation. And they wanna know what would God say about it? What would God do? Well, we can go to God's word, we can consult everything, but what has God said to you? Have you missed an instruction? Have you missed through a disobedient action not doing what God has already revealed? See, it's really easy to just ask for another message when we don't like the one we previously got. But sometimes the previous message that we received is the one we need to heed. And that might be, you need to forgive them. You need to pray for them. You need to love them. You need to turn the other cheek. You need not to get revenge for vengeance is mine. I'll repay, saith the Lord. And we try to get even and we try to, to get a pound of flesh for our pound of insult. And we want to, to somehow level the field and, and even the score. And God's word to us is, no, just obey this word. Just go on in forgiveness and be healed. You see, the miracle of forgiveness is a sign of 
what they're about to witness with their eyes being done with things they can't see. So there were two things that were happening here. There was an unseen miracle and there was a visible miracle. There was one invisible and one visible. And many times it'll operate like this in our lives. Jesus forgave the man's sin, which nobody could see. We don't know what the man's sin was. We don't know what his indiscretions were. And you know what? Thanks be to God that no one needs to know yours either. You can take that before the throne. But that unseen miracle of forgiveness of sins was there to demonstrate that Jesus had power over that just as well as the physical legs being healed, which they could see. And the legs being healed was proof positive that the first thing also took place. And many times what will happen on the outside of us is one measure of what we needed, but what's taking place on the inside is so much greater than what happened on the outside. You talk to someone who just recently has given their life to, to Christ and though the outside appearance may look pretty much the same, other than maybe there's, there's a joy on their face or a smile, on the inside, they know that there is something so much better, something greater. Something has taken place on the inside. The unseen world has changed, and therefore everything has changed. And when Jesus does this, this astounds and amazes those who are around Let's fast forward just a little bit and go to verse 13. And when he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him, he taught them and he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office and said to him, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. This is the call that was issued again and again and again to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus simply said, hey, come follow me. What the guy do? So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many of them who followed him. Get that? Levi, who also his name is Matthew, invited Jesus into his house and invited all of his friends. Here's what he did. He threw a party. Levi was good at throwing parties. He said, Jesus, I don't have a whole lot to offer you, but I do know a couple things. I can throw a pretty good party. And Jesus said, well, if you can throw a good party, I'd like to get to know your crowd. Really, Jesus, you want to come hang with my folks? Yeah, I want to hang with your crowd. Let's have a rowdy party together. Man, Levi's like, I like this Jesus guy. But not everybody liked what Jesus was about to participate in. You mean that Jesus of Nazareth, the healer, the guy that was preaching in the synagogue just a day before on the Sabbath, that's, that's doing good works and healing the paralyzed guy, he's gonna convert with tax collectors and sinners? When God puts a call on your life and you start to branch out into areas of the unknown, when you get outside of your little circle when you get outside of your bubble, there will be people who will criticize how you do what you do. As long as you know that you're doing it as unto the Lord, as long as you know that you're obeying the voice of God and you're being obedient to his word, you don't have to worry about the voices of criticism. You don't have to worry about the, the people that don't like what you're doing. Jesus didn't. He went to a party at Levi's house and look what it says, that many of them also followed Jesus as a result. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to, to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who have no need of a physician, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. 
I love that theme. Jesus boldly tells them, if you are well, you don't go to the doctor. How many make a habit of just going to the doctor even though there's nothing wrong with you? That's expensive. It takes time. They may send you to go get a COVID test. That don't feel good. I had one last week. I didn't feel all that bad, and I was positive. And I'm like, I can't go to church and preach with COVID. Thank you for all your prayers. I really wasn't that bad. In fact, I, I kind of I was a little humored as I'm sitting there on the couch all weekend last weekend saying, I got to watch every playoff game. Thanks be to God. Listen, I'm not that guy that gets all mad when I have to go to Walmart and park in Scooby-Doo F way out there at the end. Now, I pray, God, give me a close parking spot. But if not, I go all the way out to the back and say, thank you, God, I needed the exercise today. You, know? you can always turn a negative into a positive. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's saying, Levi, I tell you what, if you come and follow me, I would love to have dinner at your house. Invite all your rowdy friends. Let's all come together. We might even watch a game together. And that's what Jesus did. And it says that all of his friends came and many of them followed after Jesus. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to give up on all your unsaved friends after you come to Jesus. That's not what he wants you to do. The greatest season of your time of evangelistic effort with God is when you just have become a born again believer and you can tell all your friends about the change that's in your life. Don't cut yourself off from them. Draw closer to them. But be careful. You don't need to participate in everything they're participating in. Now, now, someone will say after church, well, pastor, you know, the Bible says, what fellowship have light with darkness? I know you can even put the half in the King James Version in there and Old English Shakespearean. I, you can put all that in there. I know it. But here's what you need to understand. We are salt and light. We are called to our oikos, to our local word, to our household of faith. Put up that slide about the oikos for me. This is the oikos principle. Oikos means household. I know you think it's Greek yogurt. It's not. It's Greek word for household. You will never go through the yogurt aisle again and see oikos the same way ever again. Every time you look at Greek yogurt, you need to see that I am responsible to impact my world. My friends, my neighbors, my family, my coworkers, people in my small group at church, I have an oikos. An oikos is an extended family. An oikos is about eight to 15 people that you have most direct contact and influence in. Why? Because they know you, you know them. I'm not, a, I'm not a big advocate of going door to door, knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus. That's fine. It's worked in other days, but I'm going to tell you right now, in 2022, most people have a ring doorbell and they will not answer. Come to my door like this, knocking on the door. I'm going to see the ring doorbell say, I don't want no Jehovah's Witness argument today. But there's nothing wrong with the methods as long as we have the right message. And the method that God most uses is people come to the Lord through their oikos. Look at it right here. Jesus said to Levi, follow me. He followed, then he invited his oikos, all of his friends, and Jesus came to the party as well. That's what Jesus wants to do is influence other people through you. This takes all the pressure off of cold call witnessing. That is one of the most difficult things to do is cold call witnessing. It terrifies most people to think that they're gonna to have to go up to a perfect stranger and share about Jesus. That's not what he's called you to do. 
but there is something very powerful about your life being a light to other people. And Jesus says, I have come for those who are sick. What the Pharisees didn't realize is that when they tipped their nose up in the air thinking, that's right, these publicans and sinners, they need to hear the message of Jesus. What they didn't realize was that they themselves had another kind of sickness and it was a religious sickness of self-righteousness. They thought they were so much better than the ones Jesus was reaching out to. And later on in the life of Jesus, we'll see as we, we unfold this throughout the year that they were the ones also that needed to deal with the inner heart. They needed to deal with the things in here. And so as we close this chapter today, I wonder, have you responded to the call of Levi? Have you responded to the call of Jesus that he gave at that tax office? Come follow me. Because that call continues to go out through platforms, through churches, on internet websites, in offices, in meetings, in home small groups. The call to follow Jesus still goes out today. And that call is being ushered to you today. The challenge is being hearkened today. Jesus is saying, come, follow me, won't you? Follow me. Don't follow the church. Don't follow a preacher. Don't follow a good program. Follow Jesus. With heads bowed and no one looking around, just between you and God, I wonder today, maybe you're here and you want to accept that challenge. You want to heed that call. And with no one looking around boldly and bravely, you just raise up your hand and say, that's me, I wanna follow Jesus today. That's me, you, amen, amen, thank you, thank you, thank you. I wanna follow Jesus today. Come on, I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna trick you like that, but you want to follow Jesus today. Just raise your hand and take it right back down. God bless you and you and you. God bless you. Now everybody look up here, look up here. Jesus said, that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father. So with no heads bowed and with no eyes closed, everybody looking up here, you're watching online, you're looking at me. I want every person who is willing to say this prayer after me. You may say, but I've prayed that prayer before. That's okay, pray it out loud so you can hear it with your own ears. You may just encourage someone next to you to pray it. And there's nothing magical about this prayer. We don't have a salvation prayer given to us in the Bible. But I do know that there is something about verbalizing our faith before God. Say this prayer with me. Dear God, I come to you today just like I am. I have tried to fix my life on my own. I have failed. That makes me a sinner. I've missed the mark. Today I confess Jesus is Savior and Lord. I give you my life, Jesus, and I will follow you as you show me how. Amen. Didn't that feel good? Didn't that feel good? Let's give God a hand. The Bible tells us there is rejoicing in heaven. There's a party in heaven every time someone says that prayer and means it from their heart. We're gonna end in worship 
I'm gonna ask you to stand. This is a time of celebration. This is a time of thanksgiving unto God. And here's what I wanna tell you to do. If you prayed that prayer and you truly meant it, I want you to tell someone. Go online and let me know. Send a message. Tell them at the information desk. Come and find me after church. You need to tell someone. That's making your faith public that you said yes to Jesus.